Should be a good morning. Should be a great day for Klal Yisrael. We should hear good tidings and good news and a sweeping Israeli and IDF victory. I want to thank our Pasha series sponsor for the year, Becky and Avi Katz, who continue to show their support and love in sponsoring the Pasha series in memory of David Grossman, Lila Nishmas, Becky's father, David Ben Menachem Manish. If anyone would like to sponsor a particular shir or class, we of course would welcome it. Also, at the uh, conclusion of the Pasha this morning, everyone's invited to please remain behind. And uh, we have the Tehillim Mechulak. We'll be able to divide it up and finish all of Tehillim. If uh, many people stay, it won't take long, but it'll be meaningful with each year. Not only are we learning in the merit of our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in Israel, but also we are completing Tehillim with each and every year. Torah and Tefillah, the combination, please God, can be our contribution, among our contributions, even from here. Pasha's told, Pasha's Noach, uh, Parshas Noach, page 30 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Eilat told us, Noach, Noach, ish tzadik tamam I mention every year when we address, when we learn Parshas Noach, people are not indifferent about Noach. The world can be divided into two camps. Those who see Noach as a tzadik, who love Noach, who see Noach as a hero, and those who are the critics of Noach. Those who see Noach, he was pretty good for his time, but his time was pretty pathetic. And that's the only reason he was good. Noach was really nothing special. Don't get too excited about Noach. People feel pretty passionate about Noach one direction or the other. Ela told us Noach, the Torah itself testifies. These are the told us, these are the offspring of Noach. Noach ish tzaddik, he was a righteous man. He was perfect for his generation. Noach walked with God. So was he in fact great? Was he not great? Let's continue to weigh in every year. We try to bring to you new perspectives, new insights. We don't repeat unless it's worth unless we can't help it. But generally, we don't repeat new insights, new ideas, and new perspectives on these same topics. The Parsha is so rich, there are opportunities every year. The Sefer Chuas Chain, the Amaras Tahoros of the Rach Meshlitka Rebbe, quotes the Chuas Chain, who says, Api Pashish, Amr Razab, Pirke Avos, the Chazar, rather, our rabbis say in Pirke Avos, Kosher Ruach Habrios Nochei What's he bothered by? What's the obvious question? The redundancy. Ela told us Noach, Noach, these are the offspring of Noach. Noach was a righteous man. First of all, you didn't list the offspring of Noach. Why do we repeat the name Noach? The whole first Pasuk, if you're paying attention, doesn't read very clearly. Ela told us Noach, if these are the offspring, list the offspring. If you're not listing the offspring and you're just going to tell us about Noach, why do you have to repeat his name? Just say Ela told us Noach, why Ela told us Noach, Noach. So that the Chuas Chain is saying. The Mishnah in Perkevas tells us, Kosher Ruach Abrios Nochaimenu, Ruach Hamakom Nochaimenu. Vokosher Aim Ruach Abrios Nochaimenu, Ain Ruach Hamakom Nochaimenu. Whoever finds favor in the eyes of man, if people like you, God likes you. If people think you're a low life jerk, Isvarf, reject, have no interest in being around you, then Hashem says, I have no interest in being around you. And that's what it means, because the Zohar Akadosh, the Zohar says, and the Medrash quotes this as well, he was Noach. He was pleasant above and pleasant below. The name Noach and the word Noach is a description, a reflection of how he was thought of both above and below. And that's what the Chuas Chain says. Ela told us Noach, Noach. God loved him and people loved him. Noach was integrated. And when does Hashem love you? When you're integrated among His other children. But if you're not, if you're divided and divisive, if you're hypercritical of others, if people withdraw from you, then Hashem says, ooh, 
You don't get along with my other children. You can't get along with others. You're not well liked. You're not integrated. You're not ruach habrios nocheh menu. So that's the lashon noche noach neicha lamala leelyonim veneicha latachtonim ruach habrios nocheh menu. People are drawn to you. They're at peace with you. They like you. You're integrated with them. So that it goes together. Hashem loves you if people love you. If the people don't love you, then Hashem says, no matter how righteous you may present yourself, I'm not interested in you as either. We have to be connected with the people around us. We have to be ruach habrios nochehimenu. We have to see ourselves part of something bigger than ourselves. We can't withdraw. We're not on our own. We don't live isolated. We have to, it's not enough to be righteous vis-a-vis God. It's not enough to be vigilant and pious in Hashem's halacha and Torah and mitzvot. But a core value, a core value of Yiddishkeit, of Torah, is community. It's community. It's not, a, it's not a concession. It's not just like it's easier to do things in a community. You need a minion, what are you going to do? You need shiurim, what are you going to do? You need a good kiddush and a shal shiddus, what are you going to do? Living in a community, participating, contributing, being counted in community is not a concession, it is a core value. Ruach habrios no You don't just live by yourself. We've said now many times, the Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva, Porish Menatzibur, you don't remove yourself from the Tzibur. person who removes himself from the Tzibur, which the Rambam defines as not feeling the sorrow, the crisis of the community. If you don't feel the crisis of Klal Yisrael, you have no portion of the world to come. You can be vigilant and righteous and, and incredibly, incredibly rigorous in your observance of every detail of Jewish law, but you're not connected to community, to the people, to the nation, to our plight, to our destiny, to this crisis, if you're capable of being distracted from it, then you have to look and really see what you're made of. It's a real gut check. I wrote about this week an open letter to my fellow Jews of the diaspora. It's a real gut check moment for how connected we feel to Klal Yisrael and to Israel in this moment. Your connection to Israel is not defined by whether you ate a blue and white cookie on Yom Atzmaut. That people want to sit in judgment of, did you say hello, with a bracha, without a bracha, blue and white cookie, no cookie, a falafel ball, did you march, did you wave a flag? People have very superficial definitions of how connected you are to Israel. Very superficial and very judgmental. That's not the, that's not HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right now, how connected do you feel? What decisions are you making? Everyone has to make decisions that are right for them, but what connection do we feel? If you have to leave Israel, do you walk away backwards like you walk away from the Kotel? Or do you turn your back and run? What, what, what relationship do we have to community, to Klai Yisrael, to our nation, to our people? Ruach habrios no We have to be connected with community, with the people around us. If we have noach letachtonim, then neicha noach leelyonim. And that's the pshat, says the Chuas chayin, Definitely not the pshat. Maybe that's the drush. Ela told us Noach, Noach. Shah told us Shayosa Adam Noach Labrios. Shanasa Gam Noach Lashamayim. Shaqenu Noach Laila Bishvil Shu Noach Latata. You have to be Noach both above and below. And then he quotes another pshat. Tanabanashtashan Machtanachluka Beshamay Basilil. For two and a half years, Beshamay and Basilil argued, they debated. Noach Lola Adam Shalom Nivra Yosemishan Nivra. What is, is it better that we were born? Or would it have been better not to be born at all? Better that we're here? Or would it have been better if we were never here? Which is better? Two and a half years, Beishamah and Beishel had that debate. This world is filled, the world is filled with such evil, animal, barbaric, 
there's, there's no words that do justice to, to who they are and how they've behaved and what they've done and the evil they've perpetrated. So maybe you look around this world with its hurt, with its pain, and we don't know what's worth. Eli Wiesel famously said, you know, that the worst atrocities are not because there's evil, but the people who are indifferent to it. It's painful, horrifically painful, in an unparalleled way, the brutal murder of 1,400 and the kidnapping of, of 200, but it's also brutally painful. Supposed that Ivy League universities, places of higher education and knowledge that are abandoning morality and basic truth, that closed down the university when someone was elected because the people might have been so injured by the thought that someone was elected. To protect Jewish students who are sitting in class next to people who are rallying with anti-Semitic slurs against them, they've disappeared. They're offline. They're nowhere to be found. In such a world, those are the institutions of higher... You've got to be a moron to go to Harvard. You're not smart. You've got to be a moron if you let your child go to Harvard. If you let your child go to a secular higher education, you're not a reflection of being intellectually advanced and smart. You're a moron. I'm sorry to be so straight and blunt and direct. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's literally downright dangerous. Look who the classmates are and look at the abandonment of the university itself. So maybe in such a world, Noach Ladam Shalom Nivra. I'm sorry if the Parsha class is laced with. It's just impossible to disconnect from what's going on. So you'll excuse me. We'll, we'll focus on the Torah, I promise. So maybe in such a world, it's Noach Ladam Shalom Nivra. Maybe we would have been better off not, not being born. Two and a half years, Beishamayim Beisil debated that. In such a world that could marginalize and neglect Kla Yisrael, that could be so anti-Semitic, that could be so barbaric, maybe it's better just to not be born. So the true Aschein says, Both attitudes and both perspectives are true. Umar Umar really didn't debate. It's a question of when, at what moment, what experience, what perspective. They really meant the same thing. It's not really about this world, it's really about the way we see ourselves. person has to look at their life and say, what am I making of my life? Am I rallying and advocating and davening and learning and standing up? Am I living a life of virtue and a life of leadership and a life of connection to Kla Yisrael? Am I living a life that's going to leave a legacy that I will be proud of? So So then it's worthwhile to be born. It's worthwhile to be here. If a person says to themselves, it's worthwhile. If it's noach lo adam shenivra, if a person thinks I'm all that and I'm done and I'm accomplished, I'm a finished product and I've made my mark and I've done what I have to do and genukshan, I'm done. So such a person who feels noach shenivra, noach lo shelo nivra. If you think ever you're a finished product and you're complete and you're done, your best is behind you, not yet to come, then taka you, it would have been better off if you weren't created. And that's why Chazal say, If you think Mishanivra, if you think it's good that I'm here, then better you weren't born. But 
But if a person who says, I've not yet accomplished what I meant to, maybe it would have been better if I weren't created because I've not yet become who I'm meant to be. I've not yet molded and fashioned myself into the person, the best version of myself. So maybe it would have been better if I weren't here. Such a person. When a person has an attitude of then that person, it's a fantastic, beautiful insight. Beautiful insight. Besham and Besil weren't arguing. They were describing two different people. The person who thinks, I'm all that, who arrogantly and pridefully thinks, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm accomplished. So such a person, Taka, would have been better if you're not here. But the person who thinks, my best is yet to come. Uh, what's his name? Lloyd Wright. Who was the great architect? Frank Lloyd Wright. I love this quote. He was once asked, of all of your designs, famous architect, accomplished, award-winning architect, of all of your designs, which is your favorite? And you know what he answered? My next one. His favorite was my next one. You're not done. Your next one. Your next, your best is yet to come. Your best davening, your best learning, your best parenting, your best marriage moment, your best Eved Hashem moment, your best selflessness. You, our best is yet to come. Who cares what age and what stage of life? Our best is yet to come. So we say, Noach Shalom Nivra. I've not yet done enough. It would have been better if I weren't here. I have more to do. I have more to become. I have a better way to live. I have a better version of me to show the world. Taka, for you, it's good you're here. But the person who says, Noach Shanivra, oh, do you know who I am and what I've done? Do you know how much I've accomplished and how much I've achieved? You, Noach Shalom Nivra. Would have been better you weren't here. What does that have to do with our parasha, you're wondering? Me too. So he says, <laughs> So he says, That's what it means. Ela told us, Noach, Noach. So Ela told us, Noach, Noach, your attitude to Noach Shanivra and Noach Shalonivra will result in the second Noach of whether Taka Noach Shanivra or Noach Shalonivra. Ela told us, Noach, Noach, your real legacy is your attitude to Noach, to Noach Shanivra or Noach Shalonivra. Do you think you're done and you're finished? Or do you think you have more to do and you're not yet done? That will determine what kind of quality of life you have and who you are. Sa'ila so told us, Noach, Noach. Two interpretations of the Chuas Chain, two interpretations quoted by the Amaros Tahoros. The Noam Ali Melach gives us another. The Noam Ali Melach, the Heligar Veli Melach of Lezhinsk, the Rebbe Rebeli Melach, he tells us, because the Pasa continues, Ish Tzadik Tamim Haya Bedorosov. Noach continues, Noach was a great tzaddik. Noach was a big tzaddik from his kapalach to his fitzalach. Noach was a great tzaddik. Ish tzaddik tamayya bedorosav. So Frank the Noam Elimelech asks the question, what should the Pasuk have said? Noach was a righteous man bedoro in his generation. What's the difference between the word bedoro in his generation and bedorosav? What's the difference between Doro and Doro Sav? Says the Nomali Melech, Bechol Dor Vador Yeshmitzvah Achas Miuchedes Lo Sador, Shalat Srichem Beikar Labur Losakna. Every generation has its mission, its task, its mitzvah. Of course, we're all bound by all 613, but there's a different emphasis, a different focus, there's a different mission and a different mandate. Rav Yashiv said, You know what the mitzvah of our generation is? Kiddush Hashem. The last generation, the Holocaust, Eastern Europe, was to die al Kiddush Hashem. That seems to have been their mitzvah. 
Said Rav Yosef, our mitzvah is to live al Kiddush Hashem. To mekadeshem shemayim barabim. The way we live, the way we carry ourselves, the way we interact with the world, what we do. Every generation has its mitzvah. Because of bedoreinu ha'inu shekein ha'yabausu ador shel Rebbe HaKadosh HaRebbe Rebbe Elimelech ha'mitzvah shel ador shetzirich masakni mitzvah tzitzis. Rebbe Elimelech said about his generation what they needed to fix was tzitzis. People that abandoned the mitzvah of tzitzis restore the mitzvah of tzitzis. Tzitzis is supposed to remind us the strings. A person ties a string around their finger to remember something. We tie strings around our garments to remember. Tzitzis reminds us of who we are. Tzitzis is the uniform of a holy Jew that we're here as soldiers in Hashem's army in the tzavos Hashem. So that's what it means, says Rebbe Elimelech, Zeu shekasa benoach, tamim haya not bidoro, bidoro sav. Shebechol adoro shaya noach chai bahem, hai mesakeim betamimah, says kol amitzos asher yitzich mesakeim bidoro sa'elu. Noach's life spanned several generations, and in each generation, Noach led the charge to fulfill the mitzvah, whatever the mitzvah was of that generation that he lived in. The Oiv Yisrael, the Aptarov, has another interpretation. Hayeroga lachzar Aptarov, Oiv Yisrael, the Rabbi Milublin says the same thing in his Divrei Ames. And now we have the debate. Bedorosov was Noach great just for his generation, but if he lived in Avram's generation, he was a gornisht. He was a nothing. He was a nobody. Nobody would have noticed him. Or no, do you say Noach? Noach is righteous. And he would have been righteous in any generation. The great Noach debate. Everyone has to take a side. There is no neutral. Was Noah great for any generation? Was Noah great just for his generation? Says the Oiv Yisrael, the Apterov, Hadorshim, so if you're Dorish Lishvach, we understand it. If you praise him, he was righteous. We got it. The Pasuk says he was righteous. Everyone else indulged in Hamas behavior. Everyone else either was a member of Hamas or a Hamas sympathizer. But Noah wasn't. So Taka, that makes him a tzaddik. I understand why he's worthy of praise. Dorshim Lagnai, who was the one who judged him unfavorably? Who was the one who was critical of him? He builds the table. He saves humanity. Should get the Nobel Peace Prize, whatever the ultimate Nobel Peace Prize literally saved humanity. So who could possibly be critical? Who was Dorish Leganai? Who was Dorish Leganai? So said the Oiv Yisrael, Noach ba'atzma ha'yadorish is atzma leganai, machmas an venasuso. Noach was exceedingly humble. So no matter how much he accomplished, no matter how righteous he was, no matter how much credit he deserved, he always felt unworthy. He never put the spotlight on himself. He always said, you know what? Yeah, compared to the Oisvarfs I live with, I'm pretty good. But you should know that if I lived among real tzaddikim, I would be nothing. Every time God praised him, every time God said, you're pretty good, Noach. Every time God said, I'm going to save the world through you, Noach. He would recoil and say, thank you, and I'm honored, and I feel the awesome responsibility, but I know that it's only because of how terrible everyone around me is. It's not really because I am great. I realize it's only relative to the people around me. Who was Dorish Leganai said the Aptarov? You know who was Dorish Leganai? Noach. It wasn't some third party, some outside person who was critical of Noach. Noach was critical of himself. And uh, so that's also something worth praising about Noach. It never got to his head. You know, it's very easy. I, I always say the rabbinate is divided into two groups the ones I like to hang out with and the ones I stay away from, but there are the rabbis who, they let it go to their head. They believe whatever the hype is about them. The rabbis get a lot of grief and criticism. They also get a lot of honor and distinction and praise. 
So the ones who let it go to their head, and they don't only take what they do seriously, they start to take themselves seriously. So, yeah. But the ones who take what they do seriously, not themselves seriously, and the ones who realize everyone's saying nice things, and maybe the rabbi's mother believes it, but the rabbi shouldn't believe it. So uh, that's the rabbi. I like. Those are the rabbis I like to hang out with. They keep it real. They're real. They're down to earth. You know what's the difference between those rabbis? They're rebbitsons. If you have a good rebbitson, she keeps you humble. You're not so great. You're not so special. Don't forget to take out the garbage. Don't forget to... You know, that Russia was a B minus, that uh, speech was a C plus. So, you know, and, and that's their job, Ezer Kenegdo, that's their job. So Noach, one of the reasons we praise Noach, I, I'm not saying that by the way, facetiously or, or uh, I, I mean it, all of us need in our lives for each other. That's an Ezer Kenegdo, last week's parsha. When Hashem says it's not good for Adam to be alone, Eselo Ezer Kenegdo. Ezer means you need a support. You need somebody who's going to lift you up and bolster you and compliment you and see your worth. But you also need a connecto. You need the person who, when they say, you know, it's going to your head a little bit. You're starting to believe the hype. Your time is no more precious or valuable than anyone else's. And you are no different. You also put your pants on one leg at a time. And you're no different than anybody else. You need the person to be connecto. When are you an Azer? When you're connecto. If you're never connecto, then you're not an Azer, you're connecto. So when you're connecto, you're an Azer. And if you're never connect, if you're, if you're only an Azer, then you're acting connecto. That's how you have to interpret those psukim. That's how marriage has to work. Find that balance. And you also have to know within your spouse. I don't want to break into a little Shalom Bayez talk here, but you have to know within your spouse, when do they need an Azer and when do they need a connecto? Right? Like the, the Rebbe Rabunim, it's quoted in many people's names. The person has to walk around with a little petek, a little note in each pocket. On one pocket, the note says, Bishvili nivra olam. The whole world was created just for you. You're so worthy. You're so consequential. You make such a difference. This whole world was created just for you. And in the other pocket it says, You're a gornish. You're future worm food. You come from the dust of the earth and that's where you're going back. You're nothing special. And the kunst is to know when to pull which petek, which note out of which pocket. When should you be an azer? When should you be a konegdo? When is the world telling you that you're great? So the spouse has to say, you're not so great. When is the world beating you up and knocking you down? That the other person has to lift you up and say, don't listen to them. That's their problem, not yours. When to be an Azer, when to be a Kenegdo. So, Yesh Dorshon Shvach, Yesh Dorshon Gnai is not some third party. It's not Chazal, it's not the Rishonim, it's not the Mefarshim, it's not the Rabbanim who are Darshaning. Who should be Dorsh Gnai, who should be Dorsh Shvach? Says the Ov Yisrael, the Aptarav, we ourselves. When do we need to darshan our life l'shvach? And when do we need to darshan our life l'ganai? When do we need to pick me up? And when do we need to be knocked down a few notches? When do we need to be lifted? And when do we need to be humbled? It's that balance between the two is in the own conversations with ourselves. It's what it means to be a good spouse, a good friend, a good rav, a good rebbe. It's what it means to know when to be shvach and when to be ganai, when to be praise and when to be critical. The told us Aaron, Talks about two Noach. Shayador Shatzmal the Shvach, Ain Shayador Shatzmal Gnai. Tzadik Shechai Bador Shafal Utsarach Lahor Atzmal Hochech has been a Doro. Beyoshi Ishla Shech has been a Doro, Yachalum Midarchem, Chas Vashalom. So a righteous person has to lower himself. You can't live in an ivory tower. You can't live where you wish the people were. You have to live where they are. But there's a danger of living where they are. What's the danger of living where they are? They'll have an influence on you, they'll become like them. 
person has to know, I'm a tzaddik, of a mitzad sheni tzar, gam l'hakten atzma l'achazik atzma b'shiflos. V'zehu, yesh dorshan l'shvach, v'yesh dorshan l'gnai. Kol zehu noach ba'atzmo b'shteya b'chinos. So again, both the after of the Yisrael and the Toldos Aaron, they both approach it similarly, which is that, because otherwise it's, it's very outside our, our, our religion, our practice. All of a sudden when it comes to noach, what, are you going to come to shul and start rating people? Whose team are you on? Let's rate the, the rabbi, the chazan, the rebbitzin, the president, the committee head, the head of school, the principal. The people do do this, but we, we generally reject it. We generally discourage it. We generally don't believe we're supposed to work that way. You don't start, who's Dorish Lashvach? Who's Dorish Lagnai? Let's start evaluating, you know, let's see what the Russian judges give. Let's see what the uh, Chinese judges give. We're not, you know, dismounting from the, uh, you know, uh, Olympic whatever that thing is called. We're not, we're not holding up numbers. We're not, you know, synchronized swimming. We're not trying to give uh, who gets which medal. So all of a sudden when it comes to Noach, we don't find that. Let's go through all the biblical personalities and let's rank them. Let's rate them. You don't find that. Let's go through Avnitzchak Yaakov, Saref, Karach, Avalaya, Moshe, Aaron, Yosef, David. Let's go through Yael and Tamar. Let's go through the whole Tanakh, Dvorah. Let's go through everybody. Should we be Dorach, Lishvach? We don't find that. Poor Noach, all of a sudden with Noach, poor Noach, we find that. So what they're all interpreting, and I never saw this or thought about it until this year, they're all interpreting, no, we, we still are not in the practice of doing that. So who's Doresh L'Shvach, who's Doresh L'Shvach, who's the one doing that? Noach himself. And we should, in our own lives and for ourselves, be evaluating when do we need to pick me up and when do we need to be humbled? When do we need to lower ourselves to be where the people are? But when do we need to be realized that I'm still not above them, but I demand more for myself? My aspiration, my ambition is above that. I don't want to lower myself. So there's different approaches. Last one for the opening Pasuk, then we'll move on. Ela told us Noach, Noach. These are the offspring of Noach, Noach. By the way, I'll, I'll give, not the last one, second to last one. Because if you heard the Shabbat Shuvah, Russia, it was all about your future self. Ela told us Noach, Noach. You know who the offspring of Noach are? Noach, our future self is being born today. The actions, the choices, the behavior, the reputation, the brand, the name that we earn for ourselves, we are giving birth to our legacy. The present is shaping our future self. How we'll be thought of and who we'll be, what will be our physical health, mental health, spiritual health. Our future self is counting on our present self to make the right choices and live the right way emotionally, physically, spiritually, our future self is relying on it. And that's, I think, the most basic understanding of Ela told us Noach, Noach. Before you get to the offspring of, who, of your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, please God, everybody should be zoha and blessed, be married, have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. But before you talk about them being your legacy, you have your own legacy. Who's your own legacy first? You and your actions. I think we spoke about this last year or two years ago. That's why, what was one of the names? Lemech. One of his children is called Lemech. How do we use the term Lemech in Yiddish? Lemech translates to? A loser. You're a loser. You're a Lemech. Nobody should ever say that to you. You should never say it to anyone you know. But in Yiddish, you call a loser a Lemech. Why is a loser a Lemech? Because when Lemech was given his name, it was after the loss of hope of, of the father that he had any ability to forge his own legacy. It would only be through his children. 
And that makes you, that makes you a loser. If you, if you don't believe that you have your best yet to come, if you don't realize that Ela told us Noach, 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 our children, many will make good decisions, the right decisions, decisions that are consistent and conform with what we want for them, and we'll be incredibly proud. And some might, God forbid, and awfully painful, make decisions that are not consistent or don't fulfill the dream that we had for them. But our definition and identity should not exclusively be intertwined with them. Part of who we are are the children and grandchildren we leave in this world, but that's not entirely who we are. They become their own people. They make their own choices. They, they forge their own destiny. And we could have done the best that we could to bring them to a point. And after that, they, they are who they are. So they're part of our toldos. They're part of our offspring. But most basically, our core offspring is ourselves. What's your brand? What's your reputation? What's your legacy? What will you leave this world? How will you be thought of? What's your name? What's your future self? Ela told us Noach, Noach. But now the last one comes from the Kedusha Slavi. Again, I want to thank the arts girl who sent me the three-volume Kedusha Slavi. They began to translate it. So it says the following. There are two types of righteous people who serve Hashem. You know this one. There are two types of people who serve Hashem. There's a person who is incredibly fervent, has tremendous fervor, tremendous passion, who's on fire. But, Hula'atzmo. But the person is really all about themselves. They're very focused on themselves. And they're not working on the people around them. They're not connected to the community around them. This is a theme you see here. They're not connected to their people and their nation and their community. And they're not trying to lift everyone and inspire everyone. But there's a second type of tzaddik. There's the tzaddik who recluses, recuses themselves and withdraws and recoils, and the tzaddik who just cares about themselves. They learn, they daven, they observe, and the world around them, not their problem. And then there's the tzaddik who says, the world around me is my world. I need to inspire and lift and redeem and repair the whole world. So come on, so who is who? Avram Avinu ha'yem agayar geirim. V'yisa b'kisve ha'arish ha'yidei z'nenash noach sh'lo ha'yem ochiach ha'rasham sh'bedoro. Noach ultimately is punished. Avram Avinu is Avram Avinu. He is forever our forefather. We are his offspring. We are B'nai Avram. Why? Because Avram was a tzaddik who wanted to make the world a better place. He didn't care only about himself and his survival. He wanted to make the world a better place. But Noach, Noach, they're called Mei Noach, the Haftorah of the Parsha. The Navi, Yeshaya, calls them Mei Noach, the floods of Noach. Why is the flood of Noach? Isn't he the savior? Isn't he the one who helped save the world? The answer is no. He's called Mei Noach because yes, he saved himself, but... He could have saved others and he didn't. He didn't. We have a tradition, the Arizal says, Noah was reincarnated. His soul came back and had to do it again. And this time get it right. Where he didn't just save himself, but he cared about others. Who did Noah come back as? He came back as Moshe. Moshe was the leader, the shepherd, who actually was so selfless, he didn't even go into the land. All he did was lead and care about the people. And then the, the uh, Kedusha Slavery of Levi Yitzchak goes on. The Heliga Kutzker famously called it, coined it, Tzaddik and Pels. What's a Tzaddik and Pels? A Pels is a fur coat. When a person's cold, as we woke up in the frigid South Florida weather this morning, <laughs> I think it dipped into the 50s. It dipped into the 50s. Yeah. So it's frigid. 
Everyone's going to take out now their fleeces and their, what are they called, those furry shoes? Uggs, thank you, the Uggs and the leather jackets, and they dip into the mothballs and they take out their New York clothing. So in the frigid weather, there are two ways that you could stay warm. Two ways you could stay warm, the Kutzker said. You could put on a fur coat and you'll have a wonderful result. The result will be you are warm. But what about the other people around you? The other way you could stay warm is you could light a fire. And when you then cozy up to the fire, not only are you warm, now everyone around you is warm too. And the Kutzker called that a tzaddik and pels. A tzaddik and pels is somebody who's a tzaddik in their fur coat. They're on fire, they're warm in their fur coat while everyone around them is frozen. Or you could light a fire where you're not only on fire and you're warm, but you've made it warm for everyone around you too. That says the Kedushas Levi, that says the Kutzker is why Noach is held accountable. They're called May Noach and he had to come back as a Gilgal in Moshe Rabbeinu and he had to try again and he had to fix it. Kedushas Levi doesn't only have this insight, the Kedushas Levi lived that life. Levi Yitzchak of Berditsha was the great defender of the Jewish people. He said he'd rather be in Gehenim with fellow Jews than be in Olam Haba by himself. He was the great defender of the Jewish people. And any situation, any scenario that you could tell him that would be an indictment of the people, he would twist it. He could figure out a way to say, no, 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 the people, are, aren't they amazing? Aren't they amazing? Look at your people, look at your children, Hashem. He was amazing. He was amazing. This insight answers another question later in the Parsha. You thought we weren't going to get past the first Pasuk, but now we're going to fly all the way later in the Parsha. The rainbow is the sign that Hashem gave after he destroys the world and begins and creates a new, after he does a hard reset on the world, Hashem puts a rainbow in the world as a symbol, as a sign that he won't do it again. And in the previous years, Parsha, we went through. Are you supposed to take a picture? Are you supposed to tell people, look at the rainbow? Is the rainbow a positive sign, a bad sign? If you think about it, the, rain, the rainbow really is an omen that in that moment, the world is as unworthy as it was when he destroyed it. But what could he do? He made a promise he's not going to do another reset. So that doesn't sound like a very positive omen, even though people look at the rainbow. Once upon a time, the rainbow didn't have, before the rainbow was hijacked. The rainbow was just the rainbow. The rainbow was the sign of, of uh, Hashem's love and Hashem's patience and Hashem's commitment to peace and not to bring a flood again. Rashi quotes Chazal, addressing the spelling of the word Lidoros, the rainbow is for generations. Without the letter Vav, it says Lidoros, Lamedalad Reishtof, without Without the, uh, without the vav, why? The unusual spelling indicates that it would be future generations that would not need a sign at all because of the righteous. Which generations? Chazal tell us. Chizkiyahu, king of Yehuda, the generation of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai. There would be outstanding generations that have outstanding tzaddikim who the presence of those tzaddikim, you don't need a rainbow. As long as they were alive in their merits, Hashem could never reset the world. The... Sefer Dvar HaMelech, Sefer Dvar HaMelech on Rashi, raises a question of these Chazal. Because we know the Chazal, the Gemara in Sukkah and the Medrash Rabbah tell us that in every generation there are, how many Tzadikim? Lamed Vav Tzadikim. There are 36 Tzadikim in every generation, comparable to Avon and Yaakov. So if every generation has Lamed Vav Tzadikim, why do you need a rainbow altogether? Don't just tell me Chizkiyahu, and Rav Shema Bar Yochai, their generation had such a righteous person, you didn't need a rainbow. If Taka, every generation, has Lamed Vav Tzadikim, then what do you need a rainbow ever? Dvar Melech explains that the rainbow comes to remind us Hashem will not destroy the world. When there's a famous Tzadik, everybody knows. 
So you don't need the rainbow. The tzaddik living publicly as a tzaddik is in lieu of the rainbow. But what's the problem with the Lamed Vav Tzaddikim? They're hidden. The Lamed Vav Tzaddikim are hidden. There's no, I mean, there are people who have a Lamed Vav society. That's just another fundraising gimmick. But there is no Lamed Vav society that we name the Lamed Vav Tzaddikim. I have some suggestions who should go on that list. There are some really amazing people. But, but nobody asked me. They, we don't have a list. There is no Lamed Vav Tzaddikim list. They're hidden. So Dvar HaMelech says, that's why we need the rainbow. Because true, Taka, there are 36 Tzaddikim in every generation. But since the, we, you can't Google them, and no Jewish newspaper puts out a list of who they are every year, doesn't name them. So therefore, we need the rainbow. Rav Shol Alter Shlita, the Ger Rosh Hashiva, who unfortunately just had to officially cancel his trip here in November. Mirza Hashem will reschedule it. But the Holy Ger Rosh Hashiva, it's a real uh, loss for us. We were looking forward to hosting him. Suggests a different answer. He doesn't like the answer to Dvar HaMelech. Why? Because the Pasuk states clearly that the rainbow is there for Hashem to see, not for us. The rainbow is not for us to remember he won't destroy the world. The rainbow was Hashem's sign as if to himself. He didn't need a sign. But Hashem's sign to himself of his covenant not to destroy the world. So does Hashem know who the Lamed Vav Tzadikim are? Surely he knows who they are. So the fact that they're hidden shouldn't be a problem. It's a problem for us, but it shouldn't be a problem for him. And the rainbow is for him, not for us. So we're back to the original question, which was, if there are Lamed Vav Tzadikim in every generation, why do we need a rainbow? So the holy Rav Shol Alta, the Ger Rosh Hashiva, Shlita answers it based on his father, the Pnei Menachem. Pnei Menachem, last Ger Rebbe, would quote the early Hasidic masters, the students of the Maggid of Mizrich, who said the parshios that we read in the winter are cloaked in pelts. These parshios, not just the tzaddik in pelts, the parshios are cloaked in pelts, right? Meaning, there's a thick cover concealing the secrets that lie within these parshios of the avos and of going down to Mitzrayim. But there's another layer. It doesn't just mean it's cloaked in fur. It's kotzker, a tzaddik in pelts, a tzaddik in a fur coat. That this tzaddik, that this was a phony merely dressed up as a rebbe, wearing a thick fur coat is the practice of rebbes. Kotzker explained it in a deeper manner. Right? The, the simple idiom, a tzaddik in pelts, is that you know, the Rebbe used to walk with a fur around the neck. So this guy is put on a costume. He's dressed like a Rebbe, but he's really an imposter. A tzaddik in pelts, he's just an imposter. But the deeper meaning is what we explained to Kutzker. You can either wear the fur coat and you're warm, or you can light the fire and warm everybody up around you. So the real tzaddik, the righteous tzaddik, the genuine tzaddik, lights the fire. The tzaddik in pelts, who's really an imposter of a tzaddik, only stay warm, stays warm themselves. Noach was a tzaddik in pelts. You see the Pnei Menachem and the Ger Shiva were on the Lignai side. I told you, everybody with Noach, nobody's neutral. So Noach was a tzaddik in pelts. He had no influence on the people of his generation. So only he himself was saved as someone who warms himself in a fur coat. Avram, who was a true tzaddik, who lit the fire of Amun and spread its warmth around the world, so he warmed up the whole world. And that's the deeper meaning, maybe, of the words of the students of the Magid. Starting from Avram, the Parshas discussed the Avos, who, unlike the tzaddikim before them, spread the warmth all over. So the tzaddikim before them, Noach and others, were at tzaddik and pelts. But Avram lit a fire that warmed the whole world. So the Ger Rosh Hashiva of Shalotar wants to take that idea and with it answer the question, why do you need a rainbow if there are really 36 tzaddikim in every generation? Although their power is great, they do not warm up their generation. The fact that they're hidden means that they're only righteous for themselves. We need them. We live off of them. Their merits are wonderful, but they're a tzaddik in pels. They're hidden. 
They're hidden. They're lamed vav tzaddikim. They're hidden. If you're hidden, you're not lighting up the world. You're not transforming the world. Only the tzaddikim who elevate their generation are able to protect the whole world. Are able to protect the whole world. So maybe that's why. Indeed, every Jew is a tzaddik. Yeshaya Navi said, Amech kulam tzaddikim. Your nation is all righteous. Amech kulam tzaddikim. And that's what we're seeing now. Am Yisrael and Amech kulam tzaddikim. So with it, he wants to answer. That's why you still need the rainbow. Because the 36 tzaddikim, the Lamed Vav in every generation are tzaddikim and pelts. The fact that they're willing to remain hidden in their tzidkus is helping themselves, but not helping the generation. And that's why you still need the rainbow. Okay. The whole world was destroyed before God. Did you ever have a greater indication of how the Parsha always speaks to what's happening in the world? The world was filled with Hamas. What's Hamas? It's corruption, anarchy, misery. The whole world is filled with, with corruption, with corruption. Noah was the righteous one of his generation. I got a new sefer this year. Baruch Yomeru, Rav Baruch Rosenblum. Wonderful collection. He's a maggot in Israel today. Beautiful collection of Divrei Torah. So he quotes the Kliyakar. And the Kliyakar says exactly in the three things that the generation did wrong that made them need to be reset are the three ways that Noah got right. That's the Kliyakar. What does that mean? They destroyed corruption, is, is promiscuity, arayas, erva. Avodas elilim is idolatry. is gezel. Now it's not stam gezel, by the way. It's, it's translated as, as not only gezel, as stealing, but as snatching, kidnapping. Snatching away and kidnapping, not respecting property, not respecting life, not respecting independent ownership, but snatching away and kidnapping is Hamas. Hamas. The world was destroyed and corrupt because Hamas was allowed to reign. And Hamas violates rape, arayos, avodes elilim, idolatry, worshiping evil, worshiping some worldview that is so foreign to our own. And lastly, snatching away, stealing, kidnapping that which doesn't belong to them. He's ish tzaddik. He didn't steal from anyone. He was pure. He wouldn't violate promiscuity. He had perfect amuna. He didn't give in to, to idolatry. The very three ways in which Hamas in which that generation was corrupt are exactly the three ways in which Noah excels. Noah excels. Tzaddik, to be righteous, also relates to mummy, mammon, money. To be righteous is our attitude towards money. That's what Rashi says. Noah had tzaddik b'ma'asav, says Rashi, below chamas. Noah was righteous when it came to his actions, his tax returns, his interactions, his business dealings. Rashi says, below Hamas. To be honest, to not steal and rape and pillage and kidnap. All those are the behaviors of Hamas. Noah was tzaddik. Where do you see that? The Rambam, it's a very interesting Rambam. We tend to call Yosef a tzaddik. 
Avram Zavinu, David is Hamelach, Yosef is a tzaddik. But the Rambam doesn't call Yosef a tzaddik. Whom does the, the Rambam call a tzaddik? Yaakov Avinu. In Hilchos Chirus, the Rambam writes that Yaakov is a tzaddik. And why is Yaakov a tzaddik? It's also quoted in Shulchan Aruch. Because when he worked for Lavan, he was completely honest. To a, maybe to a fault, to an extreme. He was honest, even though he was living in the house of the biggest trickster in the world. He was honest. Being honest earns the label, earns the title, Tzaddik. So Noah was honest about money, and that's why he was a, that's what made him a, that's what made him a Tzaddik. That's what made him a Tzaddik. You also see, Rabbeinu Bachaya says, there was a hard reset on the world because Hamas was filling the world. And if Hamas can fill the world with rallies in New York and London and Paris and South Africa and Australia, Opera House and Fort Lauderdale, if on Ivy League campuses, administrators and professors could turn the other way, Batim Aleha Aretz Hamas. Hamas is not just in Gaza. These values or lack of values this evil, this wickedness, this corruption, vatim it can feel like the whole world is filled with Hamas, not just the perpetrators themselves who, please God, hopefully within hours will be purged and wiped from this world, from this earth. But what about the sympathizers? What about those who identify with? What about the defenders in elected office, in the halls of Congress, in Ivy League offices, in classrooms? in the supermarket or gym next to you. Batim Hamas, it can feel like it. The whole world needs a reset. It needs to be rebooted. It feels like the world is upside down and inside out. And that's what Rabbeinu Bachaya says, very interestingly. Jewish people are called B'nai Avram Mitzvah Yaakov. The whole rest of the world, what are they called? We have Sheva Mitzvos. The laws and the rules that we have that apply to the rest of the world are called B'nai Noach, the rest of the world. Why is that? Why are they called B'nai Noach? We know why they're not called Avram, Mitzvah, and Yaakov. That's our, those are our particular patriarchs. But instead of B'nai Noach, who should they be called? B'nai Adam. They should be B'nai Adam. Why do we ignore Adam? Adam and Chav are yesterday's news. We read about them. They're kicked from Gan Eden. We're done with them. Adam and Chav. Some, some Renaissance paintings they make their way in. But other than that, they're purged from history. Instead, the rest of the world, from our perspective, are known as B'nai Noach, not B'nai Adam. Why not? Why? So listen to what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says. says, Because just like Adam Harishon, Avarosh, Lachol, Because just like Adam Harishon was the father of all humanity who came after him, Adam no longer got credit for anything that came after him as of Noach. Because the world in the time of Noah was created anew. It was brand new. It was a hard reset. Just like Adam had three sons, Cain, Hevel, and Chase, two of them were Iker, Ve'echad, Hiskalkel, Cain, Timtza, Benoach, Shlosh, Abonim, Shem, Chan, Ve'yafes, Ve'ashnim, Iker, Ve'ashlishi, Hiskalkel. There are parallels between Adam and Noah. Both had three children. Two of them were, they continued the legacy and one did, did not. Just like with Adam, there was the third son of the main world, the continuity came through. Similarly with Noah, he had shame, who becomes the father of humanity, of continuity. 
So, Rabbeinu Bachaya says that Noach is really the father of humanity. This hard reset that was done on the world. That's also why we can understand. The Medrash tells us, Whenever the Torah employs the word Ela, it means Ela this in contrast to that. Something new. But whenever it says Ve'ela, Mosef Alarishonim. When you have the Vav, the Vav, Achibor, Ve'ela, you're adding on, you're continuing. What does it say with Noach? How does the Parsha begin? Ela, not Ve'ela. It doesn't say, parsha, you know, Bracious, we had Bracious, wonderful, let's continue the story. Ve'ela told us Noach. It doesn't say that. It says Ela. There's a insert page break, insert new chapter, insert new volume, insert new book, insert new world. It is a new world altogether. It's not ve'ela, a continuation of what came before, but there's a hard reset and there's something brand new of what came before. And that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how did he, how did he reset the world? Dafka through, through the flood and through water. How does that reset the world? So the Chut Shal Chesed, the Shevet Musr, both say the following. The Gemara in Zvachim, Daf Kuf Yud Gimel, tells us that the water of the flood was boiling. It wasn't lukewarm, it wasn't cold. The water of the flood, our tradition teaches, was boiling water. Why? Because if you saw the Hamas, if you saw the Dora Mabel, the way they behaved, they were boiling with rage boiling with passion, boiling with evil. They were on fire with it. So the same attitude and element they brought to what they did wrong, is the same way Hashem treated them with boiling water. So if they were boiled in boiling water immediately and that destroyed the world, so why did you need it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights? They immediately were boiled in the water and they died. Why did you need the rain to continue? On the first day, in the first hour, when boiling water descended on the world, so it killed and reset everyone and everything there. So why did it still need to rain? So they answer the following. The halacha is, if you want to kasher a pot, how do you kasher a pot? Water. What kind of water? Boiling water. How do you kasher the pot, though? You could put things in the pot to kasher it, but the pot itself, how do you kasher? It needs to bubble over. You heat a stone, you drop it inside, the water then gets even hotter, and it goes over the sides and comes down. You have to immerse the entire thing in bubbling, boiling water. It has to be mala ababuos. Ababuos is an adamanapia. Adamanapia is a word that sounds like what it is and what it describes. Ababuos is the Hebrew for boiling over. Ababuos, it's boiling over. So in order to kasher, I know it's not a pre-Pesach workshop, everybody take a deep breath and relax, but when you kasher, if you drop so much cold silverware in that the water loses its boil, it's not kashering. You have to drop it in little by little so it doesn't lose its boil, because the boiling water is what purges the non-kosher or the chametz that was absorbed in the clay. So they're explaining Hashem was kashering His world. His world had become so contaminated with impurity. The world became so corrupt by Hamas that Hashem had to kasher the world. How do you kasher the world? Boiling water. The boiling water can't just touch part of the vessel. The entire vessel has to be submerged and immersed in order for it to be kashered. In order for it to be kashered. 
And what do you do after you kasher? What do you do after you kasher? You put it in cold water. But not only that, where do you bring it? Let's say you acquire a kli. You, you went to the flea market and you bought a used vessel. Now you're going to kasher it. Good, you kashered it. You dipped it in boiling water. What do you have to do next with it? You go to the mikvah. How big is a mikvah? What's the minimum measure of a mikvah? 40 stuff, 40 days and 40 nights. The rain, the mabal that came on this earth was the two-staged way of kashering the world. Hashem said, you want to try this again? You want to be born anew? You want 2.0? You want to try again? I have to boil over the whole world. I have to kasher the whole world. You got to purge the Hamas, the non-kosher ideology, philosophy, residue. You got to purge that Hamas, and that's the only way that we can continue. You got to get rid of it. You got to burn it out. You got to boil it out. You got to eliminate it altogether. You have to get rid of it. And then, Memsa, 40 days and 40 nights, you've got to kasher this world. You've got to kasher this world. You got to kasher this world. There's so much to say in so little time and so much Hamas. We'll do a Rabbi Salavechik. Oh, there's so much to say. Salavechik says, Vati Hamas. The world was filled with Hamas. The Rav says, Hishchis implies not only ethical corruption, but natural as well. All creatures had overreached themselves. Certain processes developed that changed the nature of animal and man. They began to reach for someone else's goods to strip others of their rightful possessions. Hamas is the universal act of interfering with someone else's rights and prerogatives. You hear what Rabbi Soloveitchik said decades ago? Hamas is the universal act of interfering with someone else's rights and prerogatives, usurping something that's not their own, the act of overreaching oneself and reaching out to the non-self. Theft is a specific case of Hamas in which concrete goods are taken from their rightful owner. We know Chazal tell us that ultimately, the, the, the Dora Mabel, the generation of the flood, had to be wiped out, had to be reset, had to be purged. Why? What put it over the top was that they stole. That was more than rape. That was more than idolatry. Why was stealing what put it over the top? Why was stealing what did it? Since when is, since when is stealing a Yareg Yavor? Since when is stealing something that, something that is, a, is a capital crime? Why was that the, uh, the final... So the Ramban is bothered by that question. And the Ramban says, you know why? Because don't worship false gods. You don't know. You can't intuit. You don't necessarily instinctively have the right philosophy of life. But don't steal. That's a rational law. What kind of society can you have? A basic societal contract is to not steal from something, someone that's not yours. So you should have known. And not even doing something you should have known. It's reminiscent of what we said last week from the Kliyakar. Hashomer Achianochi. Kayan was saying, you never told me I can't murder. To which Hashem said, your brother's blood is calling from the ground. It's from the ground. It's natural law. It's a rational law. You should know on your own. You don't need to be taught. You don't need to be told. The Ramban gives a second answer and he says, stealing is rala shamayim ulabrius. You're actually an affront to God and to man. If you can't respect property and you don't trust in a faith that Hashem will give you what you need, it's an affront to both Hashem and to mankind. So Geza was the Makkah Gezel stealing is what put it over, is what put it over the top. And that brings the Mabel of Mayim. Why the Mabel of Mayim? Why the flood? So we spoke about why it was boiling water. And we spoke about why it was 40 sa'ah, why it was that measure, because like a mikvah 40 sa'ah, it had to be kashered, and the world then had to go to the mikvah. 
But there's another, the Maharal says something amazing. The Maharal, throughout his commentary and throughout all of his works, talks about what he calls Chomer and Surah. Chomer means the substance, and Surah means the shape. There's the matter, the material, and then there's the shape. Chomer is, is like the chamor, the donkey. That's how the Maharal explains that Avram and Moshe rode the same donkey. Mashiach will come on the same donkey. Chomer is the, is the, the chamor, the donkey is the chomer, the material of this world. But our mission is to give it surah. We take the material of this world that's neutral and we shape it and we mold it and we give it boundaries and <coughs> we give it shape and we give it purpose. We give the tsura to the chomer. Why did Hashem need a mabul? Because the flood, when is there a flood? When is there a flood? We just saw a massive flooding, right? The people whose basements, Nebuch, were flooded. New York, massive flooding. Where'd that flooding come from? Because when the boundaries that are supposed to hold the water in place are breached and the water overruns, and there's no boundaries, there's no borders, <coughs> there's nothing holding it in place, then it's able to flow freely everywhere and it can destroy. That's Midah Keneged Midah for the attitude of the Dora Mabel. The Dora Mabel didn't live with boundaries. They took women that were not their wives. They stole property that didn't belong to them. They worshipped ideologies and ideas that weren't deserving of worship. There were no boundaries, there were no borders, there were no morals, there were no ethics. There was chaos and anarchy and Hamas. So what is the Mida Keneged Midah? A Mabel, a flood. Because what is the substance that is the ultimate chomer that has matter but lacks tzura, that lacks shape, is water. Water is matter, but the water, is it in a cup, is it in a bowl, is it in your straw, is it in the pipe, is it in the man-made lake, is it in the canal? It has a, what gives it the tzura, we give it the tzura. It has a chomer. So Hashem was saying, mida kenegin mida. You failed to take my world, my earth, the chomer, and to give it a meaningful shape. So therefore the mabul, you, you, you want a world without boundaries? You want a world without borders? You want a world that has no vessel? You want a world that doesn't take shape? I'll show you such a world. And then Hashem visited the mabul upon them. That's what the world looks like when we have no boundaries. That's what the world will look like. That's what the world looks like. So our tassel teva. Uh, a window is put into the ark. Noah is instructed how to build the teva, the ark. And there's a window at Sohar means either a light, a stone that was put into that space, the stone refracted the light, or a window to be able to see, to be able to see. Now, yeah, we'll end with this. Even though there were a hundred more things to say, but we'll end with this. I told you the Haftorah describes the, the flood as Mei Noach. Ki Mei Noach zos li asher mishpatim yavor Mei Noach ud ala aretz. The Navi Yeshaya says, for like the waters of Noah, this will pass to me, just as I swore the waters of Noah would never again pass over the earth. And why is the Mabu called the May Noah? We said because he was a tzaddik in Pels, because he just warmed himself and he didn't warm or repair the world. By the way, why didn't he? This I've told you before, but Rav Levi Yitzchak of another Kedushas Levi, he says, you know why he failed? Rashi tells us, quoting Chazal, when did he get into the, uh, to the Teva? When did he climb in? Only when? started to rain. Why? Because he didn't believe it would happen. And Rashi says, Mikatne Amunahaya. He was those who lacked Amunah. Mamin ve'ino mamin. He wavered in his faith. 
So the Rav Levi Yitzchak says he wavered in his faith. He says, no, he had conversation, he heard God, he built the Teva, he saved the world. Really? So Rav Levi Yitzchak says it wasn't faith in God. Whom did he not have faith in? In whom did he not have faith? Himself. He didn't believe that he could impact the world. He didn't believe he could impact the universe. He didn't believe he could make a difference. He didn't believe that his voice mattered, that it counted. He thought if he'd stand on his soapbox and try to inspire the people around him, they'd never listen. So he just kept to himself because he didn't have faith in himself. However, that's such a powerful and important message for us. Who knows if your next paragraph of Tehillim is going to switch the situation in Israel? Who knows if your next letter to an elected official of your next letter to the media or to the Ivy League institution. Use your voice. You've been gifted it. Hashem is waiting for you to use it. He wants you to believe in yourself and believe in your power of influence and believe in the difference that you can make. Don't knock yourself down. Don't lack such faith in yourself you think you can't make a difference. He's waiting for all of us to use our voice. Use our voice to Him in Tefillah and Torah and Tehillim to use our voice to speak truth to power to use our voice to protest, the Ivy Leagues have made a big miscalculation because it turns out that the Lemechs, who they're so worried about, the woke people in the universities that they're placating, they're not the ones who fill their coffers and endowments. And it turns out that their graduates are one by one. Another one who previously gave, I think, 300, was pledged 300 million and just withdrew it from Harvard. Good. Let these universities suffer. They're on the wrong side and they're going to pay a heavy price. You know why? Because the people with deep pockets are not Katne Amuna. They know their influence. They know their power. And all of us, all of us, I don't know, Starbucks, boycott, don't boycott, the union, the official, I don't know. You still got to figure that out. Whatever. Figure it out. But we all, don't be Katne Amuna. Don't lack faith in yourself, the difference you can make. Stay afterwards in a minute. Afterwards mean 30 seconds. Take it to Helm. Maybe your Tehillim is what's going to put this over the top for Klal Yisrael. Believe in yourself. Maybe your letter. Maybe you're showing up at the rally. Maybe the difference you can make. But let's end with this. The Radak teaches that the reason Noah was ultimately permitted to eat the animals from the flesh of animals was because he toiled with the beasts and the wild animals and insects and birds to sustain them in the Teva. That's what the Radak writes. Because he was selfless in taking care of all the animals, he was granted permission, license from Hashem to become a carnivore. He was allowed to eat the intensive efforts were not for his own sake or even on behalf of his children who had all their needs taken care of. Had Noah been absorbed in his own needs and desires, he would allow himself several hours of rest and peace of mind a day instead of busying himself with the animals all day long. Noah's efforts were spurred by noble intention to sustain the world. So why did he fail to daven on behalf of his generation? Why? Why? Avram Avinu, when he hears something's going to happen to Stone, what does he do? He screams out, petitions Hashem. He says, how can you do it? And Hashem replied that there were even 10 tzaddikim could not be found in stone. What does Avram do? He stops davening. Chazal explained, why did Avram stop at 10? Why didn't he go down? 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. If there's one tzaddik, don't destroy stone. Why did he stop at 10? What did he see? What did he know? He knew the data. There were eight in the generation of the Mabal. There were eight tzaddikim in the world and it wasn't saved. Noach and his family, there were eight tzaddikim. So Avram did a little math. And once Hashem said no to 10, and eight he knew was not worthy of being saved, he stopped. He stopped. It wasn't enough of his chus. So if Avram was not at faulted for stopping to Davin when he reached only eight, Noach knew his prayers on his behalf of his generation 
wouldn't have worked. So why was he held accountable for failing to daven? So the Briskarov said the following. Listen to this insight. Ravel Vasalovich, the Briskarov. He said, if you wake up in the middle of the night and your kid left their toy in the middle of the floor and the room was off and you stopped and you stubbed your toe, what do you do? You scream, ouch. Is ouch going to help? Does ouch make your toe feel better? You know, the doctor gives you the shot. You got your flu shot. It hurt. You go, ow. You wince. Ow. What does that do? What does that do? Ouch doesn't make the pain go away. What's the answer? Because when a person is in pain, they scream ouch. When a person's in pain, they cry out. So if you didn't cry out, so the nurse who gives you the shot, if you don't make a face and you didn't say ow, what do they believe? Didn't hurt? Didn't hurt? If you don't say anything, it means it didn't hurt. Because if it hurt, you would have screamed. If it hurt, you would have said, ouch. So although Noah dedicated himself wholeheartedly to sustaining the world inside the Teva, he was held accountable for failing to daven to save his generation. Aye, he couldn't have saved them through his davening. He knew, if Avram knew, Eight wasn't enough. Noach knew his generation had no shot. So why did he have to daven? Said the briskarov. His failure to daven wasn't because his davening would have saved the generation. His failure to davening meant it didn't hurt. His generation was being wiped out and he didn't scream, ouch, it didn't hurt. So Chavra, maybe I should have said this last night at a Tehillim gathering, it's a beautiful idea. But you know what that means? If right now you're not screaming, ouch, What's happening in Israel is not hurting. I, what's your ouch going to do? You watch the news. You saw the headline. Someone sent you the latest video. You saw the hostage. You saw now, I don't know, we're living in such a cursed time with technology that they're getting the GoPros from the terrorists. First of all, terrorists wore GoPros. What does that tell you about them? Their evil knows no bounds. They wanted to memorialize what they were doing. They wanted to capture their own evil. Killing Old people, decapitate, I, I don't need to elaborate. They wanted to capture it. But from their own cameras that they wore and from the dash cams of the cars at the festival, we're seeing. How could you be exposed to those headlines and these numbers? I'll never forget the rest of my life when I found out when I walked into Shul Shmini Atzeres what had happened. And the first minion I gave the drush at and I had to end up by talking about what was happening, I'll never forget, 50 can you believe there was an infiltration and 50 of our brothers and sisters were killed? Chavra, we're up to 1,400. 1,400. How do you hear that number and not cry? Cry out, scream, ouch. If you don't scream, ouch, it didn't hurt. If it doesn't hurt, check your lineage. Are you really Jewish? Check. Are you really connected to our people? Check. So the Briskarev says, Noah is held accountable. Why? His screaming, ouch. Sitting under a palm tree in Boca Raton, you scream, ouch, is that really going to make a difference in Israel? Is that going to bring, is that going to bring those who've been taken captive back? Is that going to bring those who were murdered back to life? Maybe not, just like it didn't for Noah. But you know what we'll do? It'll show that you have a Jewish soul. It'll show that it hurts. If you don't scream, ouch, it didn't hurt. You got to scream, ouch. You got to scream, ouch. And that's why they're called the May Noah, because Noah didn't scream, ouch. Please stay for a few minutes. If everyone stays, it'll take literally a few minutes. With each year, we're going to finish the whole book of Tehillim in honor of all the things that Klai also desperately needs.